Bibles, go ahead and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, I just want to thank uh, publicly Emmy's team who was thrown to the wolves this week. Yeah, let's just... First time performing live at our church, and uh, all your scary faces do something, you know. So, uh, uh, so I, I want to thank them for stepping in. I know Pastor Tyler appreciates it as well because you don't want to hear him sing today with his with his condition going on. It would just be scary. So, um, but uh, we we hope he's back in good health to lead us in worship again. But. Uh, but so again, thank you, Emmy and team, for coming out and, and serving us today. And that's what we're talking about today is serving spiritual gifts as we head into chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And, and this is where we're going to start getting into some of the fun stuff, some of the weird stuff, some of the stuff that maybe a little of us staunch Baptists get a little uncomfortable over. But that's okay because it's in the Word of God. And just because we're uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't listen to it. But So we're entering into some fun territory, and today we're we're looking at spiritual gifts. And I said, finally, a subject that is just going to be a nice coast. You know, we've been dealing with sexuality. We've been dealing with uh, problems and, and crazy things going on in the church, people dying when they take communion. And I was like, finally, spiritual gifts. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, this is a very controversial subject. So uh, because Christians just love to fight, and it's really annoying, but they, they just love to fight. And because within the church at large, not within our church, maybe within our church, but within the church at large, we have uh, thing, uh, people called cessationists, and we have people who are called continuationists. And cessationists, it's a bit, it's whoever was the, the, the marketing campaign for this one chose a bad name, but they, they believe that the spiritual gifts were at least a group of them that they would call the sign gifts, which the Bible never calls them the sign gifts, but the sign gifts, and that they have ceased, and they no longer exist for us today. And then we have continuationists who believe that the gifts are for today, all of them that are listed in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tackle that subject fully today, because chapter 12 is actually just the first chapter that Paul deals with spiritual gifts out of three. So we're going to be on the subject of spiritual gifts from today and for the next two weeks. So it's going to be a long time, but that just shows you how important Paul looks at spiritual gifts in their proper use. So today we're just going to kind of zone in on the introduction to the gifts as Paul gives them to us in chapter 12. And then in 13 we're going to look at it, but really in 14, go ahead and read 14. That's where all the tongue stuff comes out and it gets a little weird. And uh, we get to really drill down on some of these other issues surrounding the gifts. But So with that little bit of context for you, let's start reading in verse 1. We're just going to look at verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You could even put our name in there. Now concerning spiritual gifts, Fellowship Baptist Church, I do not want you to be uninformed. And you should catch that word that Paul is saying, now concerning, because Paul is indicating that he is turning to another one of the Corinthian questions. Remember, we've been in this book now for over a year, uh, and Paul is, is, in his letter, is really answering five sets of questions that the Corinthians have asked him and some other additional things tied in there that he has heard about them. Remember, part one was questions about divisions in the 
body. We looked at that in chapters 1 to 4. Part 2 is questions about sex and singleness, and we looked at that in uh, 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 chapters 5 to 7. And then in part 3, we looked at navigating controversial topics, and that was in chapters 8 to 10. And now we're in part 4, which is questions about the gathering of the church, which I've titled Corporate Worship Wars, just because it sounds cool, and I think it would be sweet if we all had Star Wars costumes on it. No, I'm just kidding. But Corporate Worship Wars, chapters 11 to 14, and that's the section we're in now, and then we're going to get to part five, which is the importance of the resurrection, and we're going to be landing and all that all around the Easter time, and it, actually, I didn't plan that. I'm not that smart. God's smart. I'm not. So, so for the next three weeks, as I said, we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts, so please don't think that this sermon alone is going to answer all of your questions concerning spiritual gifts. The next two will answer all your questions, I promise. No, I'm kidding. Probably not, but, but this is going to be fun, church, and I want us to have fun while we enter into some of this area where we might not be a little unfamiliar with or even a little uncomfortable with. Uh, and I want us to also to go towards scripture with an open mind. What does scripture teach? Let's not fight. Let's have fun about this. If we disagree on some of these things, well, let's just go see what scripture says, not what my opinion says, because this subject of, of uh, spiritual gifts has a lot of opinions surrounding it. And a lot of the opinion is just garbage. <laughs> like, it's like, well, I think this. It's like, I don't really care what you think. What does the Bible say? Because the Bible is, with the power of the Holy Spirit, our guide on all things in life, including spiritual gifts. It is the authority from God. I could stand up here for 40 minutes and tell you stories all day, but that wouldn't change your life. God's Word will change your life. Amen, church? Are you sure? Amen, church? It will change your life. So let's go as your pastor. I, wanna, I want to encourage you to go to scriptures with your mind open to what Paul is saying and willing to be corrected if you have believed wrongly because we tend to add things to scripture in our minds. So scripture by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit is our guide and let's subject ourselves to that. And I'm going to try my best like I do every Sunday to be as clear and plain as possible and let the scriptures speak for themselves. So we have many sitting in our chairs from all different backgrounds of church. I was raised in a Pentecostal church and, and, and now I'm a Baptist. How does that happen? I don't know. Maybe you could call me a Bapticostal. I don't know. Um, um, <laughs> but we have many from totally different backgrounds, from high church and, and other, uh, other perspectives, and we're all sitting here. So I want to be sensitive and point us to the word, because at some point, we're all going to get rubbed the wrong way in this section. And that's okay, because when we get rubbed the wrong way by God's word, our first thing shouldn't be, well, something's wrong with God's word. No, it should be, well, what's in me that is keeping me opposed to what God's word is saying. So with that again, now concerning the spiritual gifts, Paul says in verse 1, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now the word translated as spiritual gifts, I don't tend to ever put Greek into my sermons because I don't want you to think that you have to know Greek to read your Bible. But I have to today, so bear with me. So the Greek word is pneumatico or pneumaticon or pneumaticos and the spirit that and, and, and spiritual gifts is really not the best interpretation of pneumaticon or pneumaticos it's better interpreted as spirituals or spiritual 
So Paul is basically saying, now concerning the spirit stuff. That's kind of what he's saying. Because there's another Greek word that is more common for gifts that Paul uses all the time, except for here, he uses pneumaticon or pneumaticos. And so it's, it's pretty ambiguous language, and it basically just translates, as I said, as spiritual or spirituals. So Paul's saying, now regarding, Corinthians, this spirit stuff. And, and when he goes to the spirit stuff, there are, there are a few things that he says about the spirit stuff. There's a variety of gifts gifts that go with it. So starting in verse 4, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestations of the spirit for the common good. So Paul uses four different words to describe this spirit stuff, these spirituals. And the first word was gifts. And he uses the common word for gifts, which is charismata, which is where we get charismatic from. And then he uses the word service, which is the, the Greek word diakonia, which is where we get our, our word deacon from, which means servant or service. And then he uses the word energies or activities, depending on your translation. But the Greek Greek word there is energema, which is where we get our word energy from. And then lastly, he uses the word manifestations. And then in verses 8 to 11, Paul just starts listing out a whole bunch of examples of these manifestations of these gifts, of these things that are meant for service. He says things like prophecy and utterances of wisdom and, and words of knowledge and miracles and healing, the discernment of spirits and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, this is not supposed to be an exhaustive list. Don't look at those and say, that is all the spiritual gifts. There is, in fact, six different lists throughout all the New Testament. And if you put them all together, there's actually 22 different spiritual gifts that are listed. But I love what the Apostle Peter does. He just lumps them all into two statements. He says, the spiritual gifts are those who speak for Jesus and those who serve Jesus. And all of you got one of those, right? All of one of your gifts fall under those categories. So no one list contains all or each of the spiritual gifts. Some leave some out, some have others that don't other, others have, and you're supposed to put them all together and look at them and serve where God has called you. And what this shows us, with the ambiguous language and wording and the hodgepodge lists we see throughout Scripture, is that spiritual gifts are not meant to be looked at as like a, a Sears catalog that you kind of look through and just pick out the ones you want and hope you got one or two of them. And ho and, and, or it's, it's not an Enneagram number where you fill out a form and, and this is your number for the rest of your life or, or a profile on strengthfindertest.com. And I say this because a lot of us, we picture spiritual gifts only in this narrow view, that it's just this category of things that I hope I get. And once I get one, it's my way for life. But rather, we, need to th we can't think of spiritual gifts as just as something that is an in uh, inseparable part of our personality that defines who we are for the rest of our lives. It can be that, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but not always. It's not always an inseparable part that you always operate. Sometimes spiritual gifts are just given to you for the moment that you're in, and then they're taken away. What I love what Paul kind of lays out with spiritual gifts out is that spiritual gifts is simply this. When, Jesus, when, when Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus comes to you to accomplish something that he wants done 
in the world. He empowers you through his spirit to accomplish something that he wants done. And that is a spiritual gift. And that could be something that is done forever, for the rest of your life. You're always operating in that gift. Or that can be something that is just done for a moment and then it ceases. So that leads me to point one, which is, you have to be clicked on the computer. There we go. Spiritual gifts are how Jesus continues his ministry on the earth. Right? Jesus promised. What did he promise? Uh, after he was gone, that he would continue to build his church by his spirit through his disciples, right? That's what he said. It's not that when Jesus was physically here on earth, he did the work by his power, and now that he's gone, we have to pick up the slack and do the work for him. No, just like when Jesus was here walking around Jerusalem in the flesh, doing work through the power of the Spirit, now that he is gone, we, his body, are doing the work through the power of his Spirit. Luke, the writer of Acts, hints at this. He, he makes this point in the opening of his book of Acts. And you might remember when we went through the book of Acts that Acts is actually a two-part volume. It's the second part of a two-part volume that Luke wrote about the life of Jesus. The first was the Gospel of Luke, and the second was the, 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 the Acts of the Epistles. And, and Luke, in his gospel, is basically volume one of the life of Jesus. And Luke opens then the book of Acts, which is volume two. And I love it. He says, in the book, the first book, the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, is just some dude that he addressed the book, both books to, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's right in Acts 1.1. And catch what he says. I, I, I have began. I love that word, I've began. So the first volume, the Gospel of Luke, is about what Jesus began to do and teach, which means the second volume, which is the book of Acts, is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. So it's not just that when Jesus was physically here on earth, he did all the work, and now that he's gone, we do the work for him. No, the same power that was in the physical body of Jesus is now at work through us, his corporate body. Amen? 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 Oh, that's good. Which leads me to point two. A spiritual gift can be either a lifelong calling or a temporary empowerment. So I said, the ambiguity around how Paul uses the spiritual gifts is intentional. The spirit stuff, the spirit manifestations. What Paul is doing is he's, talk, he's not just talking about life callings, but he's talking about empowerments for the moment as well. And I point that out because if we just look at spiritual gifts as simply as life's long callings, you might miss out on what Jesus is trying to do in you in the moment to those around you. For example, Paul in verse 9, he talks about something called the gift of faith. And that gift of faith is not talking about the gift of faith that we are all given as believers. We're all given a measure of faith to believe. This gift of faith is something, a special type of faith that God empowers an individual in, that he perceives what God wants to do in a situation, and then that individual prays that God would do that in that situation, and God does it. It's amazing. And that can happen to every single one of us in this room when we pray. It can. You might think, well, my prayers are meaningless. No, they're not. They can move mountains, church. The gift of faith is powerful. And so we see this in lived out in Mark. He points this out when the men lowered their friends through the, uh, his friend through the roof, the lame man through the roof. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he healed the guy. 
Not when Jesus saw the faith of the lame man. When Jesus saw the faith of the two guys lowering the lame man through a roof. I'd be pretty angry if someone dug a hole through the roof. But Jesus goes, that's faith. And he heals the guy because those two individuals for that moment were given the gift of faith to perceive that Jesus was ready and willing to heal the guy and they took a chance and they lowered him down and Jesus did it. Now I've met people who I think operate in that gift of faith permanently. It's just, I call them big faith people. Nothing seems to catch them off guard. God's going to take care of this. And then they take us to prayer and God does stuff. It's amazing. And then I've also met people who seem to just operate in it in moments. They catch you by surprise. Like, where's that little timid man? He's, he's, he's alive he's, and, he's, and he's powerful and, and God has empowered him to pray something. When I look over history, I think of George Mueller. He comes to mind. George Mueller is a guy, I think, he operated in the gift of faith permanently. If you don't know who George Mueller was, I won't get into all the details of his life, but basically, he gave his life to the, 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 the orphans of England, in, in Bristol, England, and he went, got cholera, all the things. He got sick, and he served these people, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids were fed and clothed and blessed, and he had no money. When he was a pastor, there was actually something called a pew tax. And you would have to pay if you wanted to sit up this close where Corey sits, right? These were the prime seats. Nobody likes it anymore. And you'd have to pay good money to sit here. And if you're a poor peasant, you'd have to sit up in the balcony. Sorry, guys. Um, but, uh, you know, and uh, but, so he said, this is dumb. We're not going to do this. Anyone can sit wherever they want. And that was actually part of how the pastor was paid. He threw away his salary so the poor could come to the front that the cross was level. But that's not really what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is when he has all hundreds of these kids sitting down one morning for breakfast, and they have no food. They have no bread. They have no milk. And all hundred, there's a couple hundred kids there, and they're hungry. What, is, what does George do? He goes on Facebook, oh, God, I need help. No. He says, kids, grab your plates, sit down at the table, and let's pray. God will provide. And so they prayed, God, would you provide milk and bread for these kids? the baker at the door. I don't know why, but I baked a bunch of extra loaves of bread last night. I can't, you, I can't sell them. Can, can your kids eat them? Yes, they can. Right after that. The milkman's cart broke down in front of the orphanage. Sorry, this story just gets me. It's, God just works so beautiful. And, and he says, I have all this milk that's going to expire. Can your kids drink it? Yeah, they can. And this is just one story of many that in the life of George Mueller, read his, his uh, biography of how God just brought him to nothing and then provided. He had the gift of faith. It's such a beautiful thing. So when you look at spiritual gifts as just something that you always have to operate in, oh, sorry, I don't get emotional easy, um, and you might miss out when God is trying to do something miraculous like that through your life. And you have to be discerning of when he is le le leading you into those moments. So you can operate in it forever. It could be a lifelong calling. Or you could operate in for whatever length of time that Jesus determines for you. But for that moment, be it a lifetime or just momentary, you are the hand or foot or mouth of Christ. And he wants to use you as imperfect as I am and as imperf imperfect as you are. So now that we've kind of cleared up a little bit of the confusion around how the gifts works, let's go to my third point, which is every single one of you have one. If you are in Christ, you all have a spiritual gift. 
1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given the manifestations of the Spirit for the common good. So to each. Right? It's important to slow down when we read Scripture. We just like to blow through it. To each. What does that mean? It means all of you. Everyone who is in Christ. To each of you is given a manifestation. Remember, he's being vague here, but he's talking about a gift. You're given something to do by God. You're all given something by the Spirit, to do for the common good. Everyone who is in Christ, God has given you something to build up this local body that you're a part of. And if you're not part of our local body and you're just visiting, then he has given you a spiritual gift to build up the local body that you are a part of, that you call home. He wants to use you. Let's jump a little bit down to verse 14 and just kind of kind of look where we're going here. It says, for, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of of smell. But as it is as it is God has arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose if we were all if we were all a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand i have no need of you nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you on the contrary the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable uh, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unrepresented parts are treated with greater modesty, which, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lack it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, hear this, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So I'm just going to kind of summarize a lot of these verses. What he's saying in all these verses, essentially, if my little toe, my little pinky toe says, well, I'm not as glorious as, as the tongue. The tongue of this body gets to speak such wonderful things to Fellowship Baptist Church week after week, and many hear it, and, and many are blessed by it, and the toe says, well, that's not me. Nobody ever sees me. I'm of no importance. I'm just stuck in this stinky leather shoe. And nobody ever thinks of me when he's standing, when the tongue's up there speaking. Okay. But if that happens, what happens when your pinky toe is hurt? See, when I get up at night in the middle of the night and I go to the bathroom, my pinky toe finds the corner of the dresser every single night. It's like there's a homing beacon in there. And when that happens... It breaks, brings my whole body to the ground. And my tongue starts to say all sorts of unwonderful things that wouldn't bless Fellowship Baptist Church week after week. So sure, my tongue might be more famous than my pinky toe. And if you see my pinky toe, you'd know why. But I need both to function. Or look at it this way. Every week there's a group, a group of people within our church that's, that take care of this church by serving our kids. They don't only just disciple them, which is really important. That's what they're doing. They also enable us to experience what we experience in here week after week. This is going to sound weird, but I kind of think of our kids' department as the liver of this church. Let me, let me explain why. 
because nobody might see it because they're downstairs. You might hear the odd bang and whatnot and, and screams, fun screams. Okay, um, you know, you might, you might hear some noise, but nobody's maybe seeing it or, or, he, or thinking of it during service. But I'm telling you this, if the liver stopped working, we would all know it. It'd be a little bit noisier in here, wouldn't it? The children's ministry is one of our most vital ministries. And I could never thank our volunteers enough who serve down there. And the point that I'm making is that no matter the role that God has given you to serve in within this church or or wherever you are from, this role might be out of sight, it might even be out of mind, or it might be a role up here on stage that people see Sunday after Sunday. What Paul is saying is that all of these across the board are as equally as important. And we need all of them just like I need my pinky toe to walk around, we need all of them to be functioning well so this church stays healthy and impactful to the community around it. We need them to build each other up, to serve each other. So which brings me to my fourth point is, well, if I have one, well, then how do I know which one I possess? Which gift do I have? And I love what C.S. Lewis does in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if, if you guys are more of a scholar on Lewis's work there, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Father Christmas just randomly shows up to the kids, and I don't think he ever appears again. It's like, I think it must have been Christmas time when he was writing, and he's like, oh, sure, Father Christmas, this is good. And anyways, he just randomly shows up, and he places gifts within the kids' hands that are in Narnia. And, and the kids are a little confused. They're not sure why he's giving them these gifts. And, uh, and these gifts are from, that Father Christmas says, from Aslan. And if you don't know the story, Aslan is the lion that represents Jesus. So he kind of gives them these mysterious gifts. The children can't figure out why they have these gifts. But then they get to the final battle with the white witch. And Lucy then realizes that her gift, the healing ointment that she was given, was given to her to bind up the wounded in the battle. Peter realizes that he was given a sword so he could lead the charge in an assault against the white witch's army. And C.S. Lewis, what he was trying to convey to his readers through uh, uh, allegorical writing was that one of the ways that we figure out what Aslan or Jesus wants of us is by just looking down and looking at the gifts that he has placed in our hands. They're quite obvious. So the question is, do you know yours? And if you don't, how do you figure out what yours are? And there's a lot of angles that I could stand up here for the next 10, 15 minutes and and show you all these different, here's a test and here's a map and, and whatnot, how you can do that. But the best pastoral, practical counsel that I could give you is just simply try some stuff out. Start serving. As you're obeying Christ, you'll find that there are certain things that just fit you, that just feel natural to you people, they'll begin to recognize that God is in you when you're serving that, and he's using you for those things. This is, by the way, when I was a a, a 16-year-old boy that I figured out that I had the gift of preaching. They started having me preach at 16. They said, when you teach the Bible, we understand things that we didn't understand and our lives change. Keep preaching. Okay, I guess I will. It's one of the reasons why I stand up here so many weeks and say we need to speak encouragement to each other. We're so easy at looking at all the negative in each other, and we look at all the dirt. Let's get better at looking for the gold in each other. What has God gifted this individual? Everyone you're sitting next to is a child of God made in his image. Pull out the, 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 the gifts that they have in them. When you see them serving, encourage them. When you see Emmy and her team after service say, hey, awesome job. Keep going. Encourage them. 
We need to be pulling the gold out of each other. This is also one of the main benefits why I say watching church online primarily as your only thing or, or, or joining into a life group is a good thing because when you're gathered on Sunday after Sunday or you're in life groups, you begin to be known by people and you begin to know people and then they begin to see your gifts and they can say, hey, Aaron, you're doing a good job on this. Maybe you should try to do this more. Right? And they can encourage you. Here's a tool. It's actually not a Christian tool. It's from a leadership book. But I think it actually is very helpful on how we figure out our, our spiritual gifts sometimes. And so what we have up there, we have ability. And that is what you're naturally good at. Affinity is what you're passionate about. And affirmation is where people in the church tell you that God is using you. And so where all those circles begin to converge is likely where you have a spiritual gift in your ability, in your affinity, in your affirmation. So oftentimes, your spiritual gifts will coincide with your natural abilities that you already have. God takes a natural ability that he has given you and he supercharges it per se for his purposes. For example, my gift of exhortation coincides with my natural ability I have for public speaking and persuasion. Evidently, Paul was a great thinker and leader before he became a Christian. We know this because he apprenticed with one of the greatest thinkers in, the, in, the, in, the, in that time period. It had been like going to an Ivy League school when that actually meant something. But, eh, I'm just kidding. But the point is, Paul's special calling as an apostle coincided with his natural ability to think and write that God has already given him. So oftentimes, your spiritual gift, my spiritual gift, will coincide with natural abilities that we already have. But there are exceptions. Sometimes God bestows spiritual gifts that have nothing to do with our natural abilities. For example, I grew up with a man who is terribly shy. He, he, I think he hates people, honestly. Like, he just doesn't like to be around people. Yet, yet God has given him such an incredible gift of evangelism. It makes no sense, naturally speaking. But it's like when, we're, when we would go out there on the streets together, he came to life. And God used him to see countless, come to, countless souls come to Christ. When he preaches the gospel, people get saved. And then he goes back into his hermit hole and, and cries because he had to talk to people that day. So sometimes God does it that way just to demonstrate that this power, this gift comes from him and not from our natural talents at all. So my encouragement to you is to start with your natural talents. Where has God given you some talents? But don't limit it to that because if you limit it to that, you might miss out on what God is calling you to do in the moment. Fifth. The gifts are for service and not for show. I can't emphasize this enough. The gifts are for service and not for show. Verse 7, again, it says, To each is given this, the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why are they given? So others can pat you on the back and admire how spiritual you are? No, they were given to you so you could build up the other people in this body around you for the common good, for their good. One of the many problems that the Corinthians had was that they felt prideful about their spiritual gifts. They were using them in, in their reasoning, saying, wow, look how spiritually superior I am to others. They thought spiritual gifts were some type of Christian Marvel superhero powers. I got tongues, and I'm prophecy man, and I have Jesus' spidey sensors about your problems, and I can tell you all your needs. What do you have, dear lady? Oh, the gift of administration. 
boring. It's not as spiritual as mine. I can speak in tongues and, and whatnot. And just you have a ministration. And this is what they were doing. They were making, they were elevating some of the gifts higher than the others, and they were making others feel less spectacular or less important. Let me tell you, if we didn't have gifted people in ministration at this church, it would be a mess. Because I do not have the gift of administration. I can barely keep my own calendar organized, let alone the rest of the church. Thank the Lord for you who have the gift of administration. People like Norman and people like Catherine Weeb and, 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 and others who just keep it and Mary and who keep things going and moving and organized in this church. But this is what they were doing. They were elevating. And Paul's hearing this like, what are you doing? He's perplexed. Why are you boasting about your gifts, he's saying? It's not like you're the origin of your gift. God gave it to you. It'd be like the boxing glove boasting in its power to punch. The glove can't punch on its own. It's the hand that fills the glove that has the power to punch. Just like, uh, just like my ability is not to stand up here and persuade you as your pastor. That's not my job. I'm just the glove that God fills for his work right now in your life for whatever reason and for whatever length of time. The gift that God has given you was not to puff you up but it was to be in service of others, to enable you to lay your life down and build others up around you. That you would be okay that others are succeeding around you, and maybe you're not, because you're building them up. You might be the hand that pushes them up higher. That's what he's showing us. The, the gifts are for service and not for show. In verse 13, Paul tells them that their pride in their gift shows them that shows Paul that not only do they not understand what spiritual gifts are, but they don't even understand the gospel itself. He says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The spirit and his gifts weren't given to us as a reward because how awesome you are. The Spirit was a free gift that God gave to us as part of our salvation to show the world that we are his children. All of us, Jew, Greek, slave, free, we were all hopelessly condemned when God found us and made us his children. And if you're looking for something to boast in, Paul's saying, boast in that fact, that God saved you. In Luke 10, Paul, Jesus talks about a similar idea. He, it, it, the, the, the disciples are coming back kind of like from a preaching tour, if you want to call it that. And they're all bragging like guys always do when they get together. And they're like, oh, man, you should have saw it. I casted out a demon with my eyes closed. He didn't even see it coming. And they're all trying to one-up each other. And Jesus is like, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name has been written down. That God knows you. The greatest gift that God could ever give you, hear this, is that, the, that he gave you the forgiveness of your sins. He has adopted you as his children, and now your identity is based on Christ and Christ alone, and not how well you perform. Amen? Human nature is always trying to find something that sets us above others. We always want to seem superior. And the Corinthians are trying to find that significance in their spiritual gifts. I'm valuable. I'm worth something, they say. I can do this. And Paul says, no, no, no. Your value is because Christ has made you his son or daughter. And your gifts are now to serve others and not to elevate yourself above them. This is one of the reasons I'm not a fan of Christian self-help material that only focuses on how, how, how you can discover your inner awesomeness. 
right? Where, 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 you, where you can overcome all your lies, right? You're unique. You're special. You're beautiful. You're a snowflake. No, 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 no. <laughs> We've got to be a little bit narcissistic here, right? Yes, God has made you special. But your awesomeness comes not from the gifts that you possess, but from the fact that the giver of those gifts possess you. Not because you possess something, but because you are possessed by God. The purpose of the spiritual gift is never to boast, only to bless, never to show, only to serve. Sorry. I'll admit, possessing that mentality of service rather than show is easier said than done. Because I know my sinful heart, and I'm sure it's like your sinful heart. It's always gravitating to ways to feel more special. Right? My preaching at times can, can give me an inflated sense of, a, of importance, and that's just dumb. Because I can't do this without God. I'm just the glove. I know that gifts, my gifts are not to distinguish me or make me special. And they're not to make you distinguish you or make you special. Because all that we could ever need or have been given is in Christ. These gifts are for service, not for show. To bless and not to boast. And, and, and Paul's saying, Corinthians, if you could just get that, it would minimize all of these divisions that you are fa- facing. And then lastly... God's work, God works in your life through the spiritual gifts of others. In verse 25, Paul says, members, care for one another. Each member of the body is taken care of by another member of the body. I've used this example before. If my left elbow becomes itchy, it begins to send a message up to my brain going and saying, hey, I'm dying over here, please help me, I need to be itched. What does my brain brain do? It doesn't just send down a magical brain power and zaps it away. No, it sends a message to my right hand and my right fingers to say, dude, go help your left brother out, man, your el- the brother on the elbow out. He's itchy. He moves another part of my body to take care of another part of my body. And that's what Paul is saying the spiritual gifts are for, that he has placed them in the membership of the church so that they can take care of each other when they are in times of need. We are literally his hands and feet. So yes, we, so, so you pray to God. You say, God, I need direction in my life. And God says, ah, that wisdom that you're looking for comes from my spirit. And that spirit speaks through the members of my body. You say, God, I need help in my marriage. He says, ah, I've put all the resources you need to heal your marriage in the members of my body. You pray, God, I am lonely. I'm confused. And God says, I put all the help that you need for those things in the members of my body. If you want God to work in your life, then you have to be a part of the church. And when you disconnect yourself from the gathering, from the saints, from the members, you're disconnecting yourself from God's conduit of power into your life. So stop asking God to work in your life if you're not willing to put yourself in the portal of his power. I'm not saying you have to be in religious devotion, but if you're never around people, then God's never going to use these people to, to reach you because you're never around to be reached. Many churches, including ours, we have this problem that I like to call ninja Christians. Right? You slip in unnoticed, and as soon as I say amen at the end, you hit the doors like a, like a horse out of the Kentucky Derby. You're gone. There's smoke behind you. And sometimes I get it, you have to be somewhere, I understand that, but that's consistently you, then you're never going to know anyone, and no one's ever going to know you. Hear me, ninjas are cool, I think ninjas are pretty sweet, but they make bad church members. 
And the tragedy is that the ninja Christian misses out on the majority of what God wants to do in their lives and even through them. You might be first to get your Big Mac at McDonald's, but you're missing out on some of the best things that God wants to do in your life. God does his work through the church, as imperfect as we are. This is what he chose to bless. Sitting on the sidelines or just engaging online at home and never coming, doesn't matter if you're hearing the best preachers in the world, you're only getting a fraction of what God has intended you to have. You need to be involved, to be known, and to know others. I can't tell you how many times in my life that God has corrected, course-corrected my life because of members of the church, where they've either encouraged me when I was feeling down or I was going down a road that I shouldn't be going. They said, Aaron, stop being an idiot. And yeah, I need to be spoken like that. Don't speak to me soft. I won't listen. And they corrected me. It's because I was in the church. Lone Ranger Christianity, you can't, if you're a Lone Ranger Christian, you can't be spiritual healthy. Because God puts the spiritual stuff into the members of his church. Which brings me, sorry, to my actual last point. Is, and it's very quick. <laughs> Lying, I guess. Yeah, all right. God's gifts are vast. And this is, I just want to conclude with these next two minutes with a special message to you, Fellowship Baptist Church. I told you that in all the New Testament, there are six different spiritual gift lists containing 22 different gifts. But like I said, these are not exhaustive lists. The Apostle Peter, he says all spiritual gifts are basically into two categories. Those who speak for Jesus and those who serve for Jesus. And you've got at least one of those. So my hope is that you would plunge in here at the church and figure out what your gift is. What the best way, and the best way you can do that is just by serving. Starting in small areas and just figuring it out. And you'll begin to identify your gifts. So before I close, let me just quickly walk through those gifts that um, uh, Paul does bring up because these gifts are a little, like we're, we're comfortable with administration, we're comfortable with teaching, but some of the gifts here we're not comfortable with. And I'm not going to dissect them all, but I just want you to be aware of them because then we're going to dissect them in future weeks. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, he says, for, one is given, uh, 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 for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now the utterance of wisdom, this is when the Spirit of God will give you insight into his will in an area that is not spelled out in Scripture. We all come to that, should I buy this house? Should I buy that house? Well, let me go to the book of Second Opinions. Oh, wait, that doesn't exist, right? And, and so you pray to God, and sometimes he impresses upon you, or he uses someone else in the church and, and impresses upon you utterances of wisdom. Then he says, and to another, uh, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. And the utterance of knowledge, or commonly called a word of knowledge, is a special knowledge from the Holy Spirit about someone's life, directing you to pray or speak into their life, just like Jesus in John 4, knowing about all the woman's five previous marriages, we have this kind of, you can kind of see into it. I've done this as I stand out on the streets and do street ministry. I was praying for a young girl once, and, and this thought, God said in my mind, I, I tell her that I will not treat her as a father like her physical father did. And it turned out that she was raped by her father. And she broke down crying. And she said, how did you know that? I said, I don't know. God told me, I guess. And she gave her life to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, if you don't want to take my word for it, a great Baptist preacher, he commonly from the pulpit operated in words of knowledge. He, one time he's preaching to thousands. He was the first megachurch pastor in a sense. Thousands. And he stops and he says, there is somebody here today who has stolen a pair of leather gloves and you must give them back. The next day this man 
on his office door, shaking. Don't tell my mom. It's just really cold. I had no money and I stole these gloves. Can you please give them back to the shop? God works in mysterious ways. Okay, I told you I wasn't going to dissect them all. Uh, Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit. A special bestowal of faith that God gives to Christians for certain times. We talked about this with George Mueller. When you're able to perceive what God wants to do, and then you pray that and God does it. That can happen to all of us when we pray. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9-10. To another, gifts of healing, and another, the working of miracles. I think those are pretty self-explanatory. God healing, God working miraculous things that we can't explain. To another prophecy, here's a fun one. And this is the, uh, the ability to speak into a situation at just the right time, to apply scripture to someone in just the right way. Prophecy is a little bit twofold. What I'm doing right now from scripture in scripture terms is technically prophesying to you because this is God's word. But there's also a lower level in a sense of prophecy that we'll get to and we'll dissect, which is sometimes God will supernaturally speak through another member of his body. It's not thus says the Lord because the canon's closed, but it's, hey, I feel like God might be asking you or telling you to do this. We'll dissect that in future weeks. And then 12.10 is to another various kinds of tongues and to the interpretation of tongues. And we're not talking about shit about a Hyundai got a Mitsubishi, okay? Uh, we're talking about real tongues. And the, and the Greek word for tongues is glossalia, which every time used in the Bible is talking about real language and not gibberish. So we'll unpack this in more weeks to come. And that should be a really fun message. So there is some of the gifts that are identified by Paul that I think we are unfamiliar with, maybe even nervous about and even confused about. But they are gifts from God. And like I said about the tongues passage, we're going to dissect that and, and how that actually looks today. But for now, my encouragement to you is just to serve. Try new things in the church. Put yourself out there. Even fail. Even mess up. Oh, that's clearly not my gift. Because in doing so, you will feel more connected in this church. And you'll begin to zero in with where God has gifted you. All church survey statistics say the same thing. The ones who are consistently growing in their faith and the ones who feel most connected to church across the board are those who are serving in the church. So let's be a church, Fellowship Baptist Church, that identifies our gifts and then uses our gifts. Because when we don't use our gifts... The whole body suffers. Amen? Well, let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, I praise you, Lord, and I thank you that you are a holy and righteous God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the willingness of just a good example. Nothing's by coincidence. But, Lord, by having uh, a brand-new worship team jumping in and willing, Lord, to, to serve last-minute, God, because they knew they had some gifts that they could give to this church. And, and Lord, I just thank you for that, oh, God. And, and, Father, I pray that all of us would be better at identifying where our gifts are, me included, and then using them and not storing them away, Father. So, God, help us to identify. Use your members of this church to pull the gold and the good out of each other, Lord, and that we would encourage and strengthen each other and and, and charge each other, Lord, to serve you and to serve this church and to serve this community of Drumheller. Father, use this church to continue to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen.